Praise God. Well, if you'll be seated then and take out your Bibles, please. We're going to be going to the Gospel according to Luke this morning. The Gospel according to Luke. In chapter 10, I'm going to begin reading at verse 25. And it says, Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, meaning Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Verse 26, he said unto him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him, he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Verse 35, and on the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Father, I ask this morning, Lord, that you open our ears, God, to hear you. Lord, you wrote to the churches and you said, let him that hath ears hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. So Lord, I pray that you give us hearing ears today. But Lord, more importantly, I pray that you open our heart, God, to receive your word into our heart, God, into fertile ground, Lord, so that it takes root and it grows, God, and it produces the very fruit that you're describing right here, God. Help us not to be just hearers only, deceiving ourselves, Lord, but to be doers of your word. So, Father, speak to us today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, to fully grasp what is being said here, you've got to really get an understanding of who the characters are that Jesus is describing in this story. Because it's a parable, of course. It's not real, but it's a story that has a biblical and spiritual meaning. The first, there's six characters here. The first one, of course, is Jesus, the man who came to seek and save that which is lost. The man who came and said, whosoever believes in me will not perish. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, everybody say whosoever. Whosoever believes in me shall not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17 says, for I came not into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through me might be saved. So Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost, whether they're red men, yellow men, black men, white men, any combination of those men, come on, anybody that believes on him, to them gives he power to be the sons of God, even those that believe on his name. We know this is true because in Revelation 7, verse 9, it says, And after these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number of all nations and tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessed in glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. So we see before the throne of God people of every description, every color, every combination of colors, 
which tells us that God died for every person yes. on planet Earth. Yes. Amen? Amen? He didn't just die for the Jews. He didn't just die for the church. He died for every person. So we see Jesus. Next we see the lawyer. The lawyer means that an expert in the law. In other words, talking about the Jewish law. This man was an expert in the Jewish law, which means he was a priest. The only people that were experts in the law were people that were priests. They were a part of the Sanhedrin. Whether he was a Sadducee or the sect of the Pharisees, it doesn't say. But we do know that he was a priest. Either case, he was trying to justify himself. And what he was doing was attempting to substantiate that there are some people that's not deserving of my love. So he's like saying to him, all right, Jesus, if you're saying I'm supposed to love my neighbors myself, if you're talking about a Jew, then I can do that. But if you're suggesting that I've got to love a Roman or a Gentile or a Samaritan, we need to rethink this. So he's saying, all right, well, just who is my neighbor then? Because he's implying that there's some people not deserving of his love. Then we see the man that is traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, the third character in this story. Now, if he's going from Jerusalem to Jericho, it doesn't say whether he's a Gentile or not. But I'm going to just take a wild guess and assume that the lawyer standing there hearing this story just naturally assumes that he's an Israelite. He's a Jew. So he's kind of like, okay, this guy is somebody that I would want to help out. He's a fellow Jew, a citizen, or one of my people. Then we see the priest. This is a direct descendant of Aaron. Aaron was Moses' brother. Moses and Aaron were both born of the tribe of Levi. So they're the descendants of Levi from which comes the Levitical priesthood. Now, a priest was a direct descendant of Aaron. All right, so here's a priest, a direct descendant of Aaron, the same thing most likely that this lawyer was. So that he's hearing this, is all right. Here's an Israelite laying over here, beaten up, naked, and wounded, and left to die. And along comes one of my homeboys, a priest, just like me. All right, but instead of helping him, he walks on the other side. All right, then the other character is a Levite. The Levite are those that perform subordinate services. They're from the tribe of Levi, but they're not direct descendants of Aaron. They're from, an, maybe from Moses' descendant, or I don't know how many children Aaron, Levi had, but he's, they, they were the ones that performed subordinate services associated with public worship. They were musicians, gatekeepers, guardians, temple officers, judges, and craftsmen. So you can look at it like this. He's telling this story, and in this story, you've got the guy that's beaten up. He's one of ours. And along comes the priest or the pastor. Lead pastor walks on the other side of the room. He's like, maybe he won't see me. I don't want to have to deal with this, you know. And then along comes the deacon, the worship leader, and the faithful workers in the church, all right? And they're going, maybe he won't see me. And they walk on the other side. Are you seeing this story now? Is it making more sense? And then you see the Samaritan, the sixth character in this. This is probably the most unlikely person that you would consider to be redeemed. Because this, this is a priest listening to Jesus tell this story. And when he says a Samaritan, he almost said a curse word when he even mentioned a Samaritan to a Jewish priest. Because they hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans were mixed breeds. Let me give you a little history of how this animosity between them came to be. When David was king over Israel, it was a united kingdom, all right? <clears throat> then after him was Solomon, and it was still a united kingdom. <clears throat> after the death of Solomon, his son Rehoboam became king. And Rehoboam was going to tax the people more than his father Solomon had done, who taxed him greatly to build the temple and to build Solomon's mansion and all that. He said, I'm going to tax you more. I'm going to make things harder. And they said, forget you. We're out of here. And the kingdom was divided into the ten northern kingdoms and the two southern kingdoms of Judah. 
All right? And the ten northern kingdoms went to the northern part of Israel. They became the nation of Israel. The southern nation was the nation of, of Judah. All right? And in Israel, they made Samaria their capital. And it's because the temple was in Jerusalem and the northern kingdom didn't, they didn't want their people going to the southern kingdom to the temple. They set up idols to Baal. They began to worship idols. And because of this, God let them become captives of the Assyrians. And once they were brought into Assyria and become the captives and slaves of Assyria, they started intermarrying with the Assyrians. And that is how you, how they became what was known as Samaritans. In other words, they were mixed breeds. They were not purebred Israelites anymore. They called them dogs. If you remember when the Pharisaean woman came and Jesus told her, says, it's not right for me to give the children's bread to dogs. That was a reference to those who had mingled and mixed their breeds. Now listen, I'm not saying that races can't intermarry. I'm not saying that. Races intermarry all the time. In fact, See, what they're suggesting is they're mongrels. See, a dog will breed with anything. A German shepherd will not just breed with another German shepherd. He, I mean, a poodle, a Labrador, they don't care. Are you with me? I'm not trying to be crude. I'm trying to help you understand this. So when they're making that statement, they're dogs, that's what they're saying, they're mongrels. But church, I don't know about you, but I don't know that anybody that's a purebred something I mean, I got German, I got Dutch, I've got Irish, I've got Scott, I've got English, I've got American Indian. I'm a high 57, brother. I'm a mongrel. Well, if you want to get right down to it, I'm not a purebred something. And I, maybe you are. I don't know. God bless you if you are, but probably most of us in here would fall in the category of, well, you said it, I didn't. So what is being implied here, there was an arrogance about, and I love the Jewish people, don't get me wrong, I'm not throwing stones at the Jews, but in this period of time, they were very, very particular about the fact you do not breed outside of the Israelites. And there's cultures still like that today, and I'm not going to name any because I don't want to offend anybody, but there's cultures today that the, you, don't re, you don't marry outside of our, our nationality or of our, our culture. You just don't do that, and it's frowned upon. But th this was the, the, the scenario, and, and out of all the characters, the law, uh, the lawyer would be most like the priest of the Levite in this story. So he's trying to justify himself saying, who is my neighbor? Who is it that's worthy of my love and who is not? You know, it's suggesting that there's somebody that's not. And so Jesus is telling this story, and he's like, the Levite and the priest, the guy that's most like you, walked on the other side. And you yourself have just admitted that the one who was a neighbor to him was the one that showed him mercy, the one that's unlike you. So he's getting this point across to him. So in our case today, it would be most like the pastor and the deacon and the worship leader and the faithful workers in the church is who the priest and the Levite would represent. The people that you would expect to greet you each and every Sunday at the front door with a helping hand and a big smile on their face. Amen? Now, how many of you would agree this morning that Sunday morning you give and receive more smiles than any other time during the week? Come on, you, get to, you came to church this morning, and I don't care if you was in the biggest knockdown drag out fighting your life. On the way here, when you got here, you come through the door with a smile on your face, pretending like everything's okay. Mm-hmm. It's a good thing to smile at people. And if Jesus is in our heart, we ought to smile. Now, I know that not everybody smiles. You might be happy you just haven't informed your face. Oh, come on. I've seen, church, I've gone to church and not everybody in church smiles. I've seen people look like they drunk a big old bowl of vinegar just looking for something to get mad about in church. But most of the time people smile and it's all right to smile in church. We voted on it. So you can smile. And we found out you can do that and your face won't even crack. A smile makes you look better. 
It's a facelift that everybody can afford. Amen. Come on. It's in everybody's price range. It's free. It don't cost you anything to smile. A smile is in its proper time now. It's good for you and it's good for the person that receives it. Because a warm smile is a universal language of kindness. It's a curve that sets everything straight. It's the key that fits every person's heart. So as Christians, we have the love of Jesus in our heart, and we should show it. And the easiest way to do that is to start out with a smile. So I just dare you right now to look at your neighbor and smile. work, didn't it? I used to, I used to, when I'd lead the church in a smile, I'd get the most shy person in the church and have them stand up and lead everybody in a smile. If I called on you right now, I promise you, you could not stand up and not smile if I asked you to lead everybody in a smile. <laughs> but I'm not going to embarrass you. I won't do that. Everybody can smile. Even old grumpy face, you can smile. Come on. And if you don't smile, maybe I need to baptize you again. My grandchildren, one of them was, they was arguing one day, and one of them said to them, said, Pappy needs to baptize you again, because you're mean and fussy and bossy. <laughs> so maybe I just need to baptize you again. <laughs> but a smile, is a warm smile, is often a heartfelt, it's a, it's a demonstration of a heartfelt kindness. The smiles are not always an expression of kindness. Sometimes we smile because you're nervous. Some people smile because they're being sarcastic. You know, somebody's mad or you're mad, you just smile at them, that makes them even madder. You know, you drive down the road, somebody cuts you off in traffic, I want to shake my fist at them. Genius, I just smile at them. I don't want to smile at them. I want to do something mean, you know. <laughs> Sometimes it's pride, you know. Everything's falling apart, but you're not going to let the world know. You're going to smile and say, oh, no, everything's all right. I got it all under control. Sometimes we smile because we're expected to. You're sad or angry or something. You just want to be serious, but other people need you to smile or they want you to smile, so you try to put on a smile for them. And sometimes you're trying, but it just won't come to your head. My granddaughter one time was having a bad day, and, and her mom said, said, Brooklyn, just think about Jesus. She said, Mommy, I'm trying to think about Jesus, but it just won't come into my head. <laughs> but a smile can be deceptive as well. In the 60s and 70s, there was a group called the Temptations. How many of you know who the Temptations are? Okay. They wrote a song, or they sang a song anyway, that says, Smiling Faces Sometimes. And it says, Smiling Faces Sometimes Pretend to Be Your Friend. Smiling Faces Show No Trace of the Evil That Lurks Within. The truth is in their eyes, because the eyes don't lie, amen. Smiling Faces, Smiling Faces Sometimes. They don't tell the truth. Smiling Faces, Smiling Faces Tell Lies, and I've Got the Proof. Now, that's a secular song. But there is a lot of truth in the words in that song. Because Satan's advocate will deceive you many times with a smile. I mean, you get a crooked salesman trying to sell you a piece of junk car, what is he going to do? He's going to smile at you. You ever heard that line, well, so-and-so, but since it's you... I'm going to give you a real deal on this car, yeah. Since I know you, and that's, boy, you better turn around and run when you hear that line. As Christians, we know not to trust every smiling face. God gives us wisdom and discernment, and we need to learn how to use them. Because remember, Judas betrayed Jesus with an act of kindness. So there are smiles that are real and some that are not. And you say, well, Pastor, why have you spent so much time talking about smiling faces? Well, a sincere smile is often the expression of heartfelt kindness. And church, that is something that this world has got a very, very serious shortage of today. People just being kind to each other. Wounded people are in desperate need of real love and kindness. 
And there's a lot of wounded people in the world today. And as Christians, we ought to put on a smile. But, but church, listen, it shouldn't just stop there. It doesn't cost me anything to smile at you. But if that's where it stops, then I'm not really being the Christian that's being described in this story. If your Christian charity is limited to a smile, how are you any different than the priest and the Levite that Jesus is describing? They had the appearance of good, and I'm just guessing now, this guy, he's the priest. He's an expert in the law, which tells me that he was a priest, and more than likely he's dressed up in all of his attire, and he is standing in the temple or the synagogue or wherever he's serving. Every Sunday when people are coming through, he's smiling and greeting them. But in his heart, there are some people that he feels like does not deserve his love and does not deserve his kindness. So if we just smile at people, but this stops there, how are we any different than this man? And we're trying to justify ourselves by saying, well, just who is my neighbor? Is it the people that I like, people that's like me, people that's doing the things that I approve of? If it's people that are out there that's doing things that I don't approve of, the mongrels of the world, the Samaritans of the world, are you suggesting that they're my neighbor too, Lord? And that's exactly what he is suggesting. The church, some of you may have been a person that has received kindness from a good Samaritan. I've been in positions where I've received kindness from good Samaritans. Because I've been in places where the people that should have shown me kindness, that should have helped me, kicked me while I was down. And I won't go into a lot of detail, but Jeannie and I, we laid everything on the line when we went into ministry. Packed everything we had in a storage house. I packed what I could in a car and in a truck and drove five states away. We slept for six months on a mattress. Me, my wife, and all three of my kids on the floor. All we had was a microwave and a couple chairs to sit in. Because we laid it all on the line. And the people that we went to serve... All they did was rebuke me, correct me, tell me what I wasn't doing right, I wasn't committed enough, and on and on and on it went. They should have been helping me, but they were like the guys that was beating me and leaving me half dead. And when I got to a place where I was at an all-time low, I didn't know what to do, God sent a good Samaritan because I was ready to tell the whole church world to take it and put it where the sun don't shine. Because I had had it, brother, I'm telling you. I, said, I, I, just, I was done with it. And God sent somebody that just saw the condition we were in, and they just poured on the oil, poured on the wine, and they banded us up and healed us. A man named Ron, I won't call his last name. And a little Puerto Rican, a Puerto Rican now. This is what got me. You Puerto Rican folks, God, I, I love you. But people are prejudiced towards each other. And we went into a community. I suggested, why are we planting a church here? We ought to plant a church over there in another town. And my reply was, we're not going to plant a church over there. It's full of Puerto Ricans. I'm like, what did you just say to me? Where did that come from? That's not the heart of Jesus. What am I a part of here? And the very thing that this ministry was not going to reach out to, God sent a little Puerto Rican pastor, Assembly of God pastor, and he took me under his wings and just poured that on the healing side. I became a, a member of his board on his church, led to singing in his church, and he didn't criticize me and correct me and try to tell me what I wasn't doing right and everything. He just built us up and lifted us Am I telling the truth, babe? And God sent the Samaritan to, to help me when the, when, when the people that should have helped me wouldn't help me. You know, and, and some of you know what I'm talking about. You know, and I, and I don't want you to hear all these sob stories, but I want you to understand what I'm saying here. 
Because I've told you before that I grew up, we traveled a lot. I was in nine different schools in 12 years. And among little boys, guys, I'm going to tell you, if you grew up in this neighborhood, you don't understand what it's like, trust me. Because in every, little, every neighborhood, all the kids that go to school together, grow up together, they play on the little league ball teams together, they do all those things together, you develop a pack mentality. All right, there's a pecking order. And you know who the alpha male is. You know where everybody fits in the pack. All right, and you know what dogs you don't mess with and what dogs you can beat up, you know. You know your place. And then here comes another, a, a lobo. A lobo is a, 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 a wolf that doesn't have a pack. He's just wandering around. And he comes in there and you're all of a sudden, you become protective over your place. And you don't want him having your place. So you're kind of like... And the next thing you know, you are the guy on the outside trying to get in. And you're having to fight your way in there. I experienced that all my whole life, you know. And then every once in a while, you'd find somebody that would befriend you. I, I remember this first time we moved out of the mountains. I told you the other, the other day, we moved out of the mountains to the eastern part of the state, and it was culture shock. And I remember none of the little boys that had anything to do with me. They made fun of me and laughed at me the way I talked. But there was two other boys there. They were outcasts. They were very, very poor. They didn't bathe. I mean, you could literally squeeze the oil out of their hair. They were just that kind of, those kids, dirty clothes and stuff. I won't call their last name, but it was Paul and Larry. Paul and his little brother Larry. They became my friends because I was an outcast like them. And so we piled around together. We went to the Little League baseball game. We wasn't on the team. Right age, we just, we just wasn't on the team. So we went over to the side. We got our own little ball, ball game going. And there was this kid come up. His name was Goat. I didn't know he was a school bully. I didn't know that. But I told Larry, I said, get up here, Larry. I'm going to pitch you the ball. And he said, he can't play. I said, why can't he play? He said, because I said so. I said, I said, he can't. Well, who are you? I said, I'm the guy that said he can play. Well, he comes over and bows up on me. So I just, he didn't know he's messing with a little hillbilly boy. We fought all the time. Boy, I popped the top on a bottle of beat down on him right quick. <laughs> Next thing you know, I got him on the ground with his shoulders pinned on the ground. I'm going, and then I'm swinging it there because the umpire done called timeout, and he's over and grabbing me by the shirt, and I'm beating the snot out of school bully, and I don't even know it because it's just all this rage was in me, you know. And now you're treating him like everybody's treating me, and I'm not standing for it, you know. So I knew what that was like. People that's being outcasted. Church, the world is full of people just like that. Church, they, they come through our doors and we can be cliquish and I, don't, I know you and I know you and we've got our place and I don't want you taking my place and we can ostracize people that comes into our church just like they're ostracizing this guy that's beaten over there and they just like, maybe. And we won't reach out to him. We're like the priest and the Levite. I'm not saying war, I'm saying we can be. Don't, don't be like that. Because there's people, desperate, hurting people that just need someone to show them kindness. Because I, I know what it meant to me when somebody would accept me into their group, and sometimes they did. Sometimes I have been the one because you finally get into a group where you've got a little group and you fit in and the next thing you know, you're treating people the way people have treated you because you don't want to lose your position. So I remember in junior high school, there was this one girl, God bless her heart, everybody picked on her. It was horrible. She would come walking down the halls and they thought it was fun. Everybody would be up against the wall like, don't touch her, she's nasty, she's dirty and they'd be mocking her, making fun of her. I won't call her name. They actually get up and spit on her and stuff. It was horrible. And church, to my shame, I joined in on that. I regret that. If, if you could turn the clock back and know what I know now, I would have been her best friend. She just needed somebody to love her and accept her. We can all be guilty of this kind of thing. So I, I know what it's like to be on both sides of that, and I know what it means to have someone accept you and, and, and help you. Because yes. I had gotten to the point that I had been beaten down so much by the time Jeannie and I got married, I had no confidence in myself whatsoever, none. I didn't believe I could do anything right. 
I went to work on a construction job with an old Pentecostal holiness man. He went to, went to a Pentecostal holiness church. We went to his church one time, a little cinder block building, and I had never seen people like that worship. Boy, I mean, they were jerking and doing all kinds of stuff, but they loved Jesus. And this man loved the Lord. Old country boy. His name was Junior Fulmer. And he used to be one of the biggest scrappers in town. Every time these two neighboring towns, would, they were rivals, and they'd get meat on a bridge and fight. And he'd always go get Junior, because Junior, well, he was a man's man, buddy. I'm going to tell you, this guy was. And they'd go get Junior, because he could whip two or three of them by himself, you know. Well, I worked for him. And every day, every day without fail, he'd say, boy, you tough as a government mule. Boy, you can do anything. And he'd made me do everything. I carried his toolbox, everything we worked on, he made me do it. And, but what I didn't realize is he was teaching me. And he was building confidence in me. So when he left, he, he went to work for his uncle. I, I believed that there wasn't anything on that job that I couldn't do. And I went on to become one of the best pipe fitters in the business. Not bragging, it's just the truth. Because of that man. He was a good Samaritan that helped me to believe in myself. Built confidence in me. And I could go on talking about people that's, that's poured into my life. But it was sad, even when we were in Connecticut, I'd go to work at Pratt & Whitney Aircraft. I worked, I didn't get paid by the church. I helped plant the church, but there were people at work treated me better than the people in the church did. Church, my, these things all not so to be. People shouldn't be treated nicer in the world than they are right here in the church. They were more accepting and receiving of me. So I'm going to close with this one story. This is a true story. I come across this. I, I actually preached on this about 10 years ago. And I came across this story, and I, I was like, I remember preaching on this. True story. It says, one day when I was a freshman in high school, I saw a kid from my class was walking home from school. His name was Kyle. It looked like he was carrying all of his books. I thought to myself, why would anybody bring home all his books on a Friday? He must really be a nerd. I had quite a weekend plan. Parties and a football game with my friends tomorrow afternoon. So I shrugged my shoulders and went on. As I was walking, I saw a bunch of kids running toward him. They ran at him, knocked all of his books out of his arm, tripped him as he landed in the dirt, and his glasses went flying, and I saw them land in the grass about 10 feet from him. He looked up and saw, had this terrible sadness in his eyes. So my heart went out to him. So I jogged over to him as he was crawling around looking for his glasses, and I saw a tear in his eyes. As I handed him his glasses, I said, those guys are jerks. They really need to get a life. He looked at me and said, hey, thanks. There was a big smile on his face. It was one of those smiles that showed real gratitude. I helped him pick up his books and ask him where he lived. As it turned out, he lived near me. So I asked him why I had never seen him before. And he said, well, I've gone to a private school before now. I would have never hung out with a private school kid before. We talked all the way home, and I carried some of his books. He turned out to be a pretty cool kid. I asked him if he wanted to play a little football with my friends tomorrow. He said, yes. We hung out all weekend, and the more I got to know Kyle, the more I liked him. My friends thought, he, thought the same of him. Monday morning came, and there was Kyle with that huge stack of books again. I stopped him and said, boy, you're going to really build some serious muscles with that pile of books every day. He just laughed, handed me half of the books, and over the next four years, Kyle and I became best friends. When we were seniors, we began to think about college. Kyle decided he was going to go to Georgetown. I was going to go to Duke. I knew that we would be away as friends, but the miles would never be a problem. He was going to be a doctor. I was going for business and a, on a football scholarship. Kyle was valedictorian of our class. I teased him all the time about being a nerd. He had to prepare a speech for graduation. And I was so glad it was, wasn't me having to get up there and speak on graduation day. I saw Kyle, and he, he looked great. 
He was one of those guys that really found himself during high school. He filled out and actually looked, looked good in glasses. He had more dates than I had, and all the girls loved him. <laughs> Boy, sometimes I was jealous. Today was one of those days. I could see that he was nervous about his speech. So I smacked him on the back and said, hey, big guy, you're, you're going to do great. He looked at me with one of those looks, the really grateful ones, and smiled, said thanks. As he started his speech, he cleared his throat and began. Graduation is a time to thank those who have helped you make it through the tough years. Your parents, your teachers, your siblings, maybe a coach, but mostly your friends. I'm here to tell you that being a friend to someone is the best gift you can give them. I'm going to tell you a story. I just looked at my friend with disbelief as he told about the first day we met. He had planned to kill himself over the weekend. He talked of how he could clean out his locker so his mom wouldn't have to do it. And he was carrying all of his stuff home. He looked hard at me and gave me a little smile. Thankfully, I was saved. My friend saved me from doing the unspeakable. I heard a gasp come through the crowd as this handsome, popular boy told us about all of the weakest moments. I saw his mom and dad looking at me and smiling, the same grateful smile, and not until that moment did I realize its depth. Every, after four years of high school, this young man may not be able to number a whole list of people he helped, but his one small gesture saved the life of a brilliant young man who will give back to others through the medical field many times over. All the people that will go on, that he will go on to help, will they owe it to the medical training or his knowledge and skill as a doctor? Yes. But more than that, they will owe it to a young man who cared enough to show that he cared. Church, we should never underestimate the power of our actions because one small gesture can change a person's life. Now, God puts us all in each other's lives to impact one another in some way. At any time, you could come across a Kyle. I never got to the point that I was like him, but I can relate to how he felt. I was in junior high school, just minding my own business. A guy comes up with a pile, thing of bubble gum and rubs it in my hair. I didn't even know this guy. I hadn't done anything to him or anybody. Church, I had to work through a lot of forgiveness over stuff like that. And, and I've worked through it. I've forgiven. I pray for those people. I pray for, I do pray for them. Church, we, people can be so cruel to each other. And the world needs kindness. And if they can't find it in the church, my Lord, where? Where? Where, where are they going to find it? And the story that Jesus is telling is, who is your neighbor? Everyone's your neighbor. And even the most despicable, unthinkable, unlikable people. That's what he's getting across to him, the Samaritans. Now, I don't know how you categorize people in your life and in your walk. You know, because we don't agree with everybody's lifestyle, sometimes the church is accused of hating people. I don't hate anyone. I don't hate anyone. In fact, the love of Jesus Christ is shed abroad in my heart, and it, I want to shed that across to other people. I can't condone what they do, but that don't mean that I hate them. Yes. In fact, I, I will be kind to them. We, we've had people come into our church, and the life that they're living is contrary to Scripture, but we didn't beat them over the head with that. I let 
them know what the truth is, and this is what God expects. This is the consequences for not living your life that way, but we love you, and we're going to accept you, we're going to embrace you, and we're going to pray for you, and we're just going to let God deal with that. You see, we're, we're guilty sometimes of wanting to clean the fish. God says, no, you, you're fishermen of men. You go catch them. Let me clean them. Amen? And so I don't know how you categorize people of who is deserving of your love and who isn't. But church, there shouldn't be anybody in your list that's not deserving of your love. Everyone is deserving of our love, and they need that. And that's the whole thing about what, what he is saying here in this story, this parable of the Good Samaritan. Who is my neighbor? And basically what he's pointing out is the person that's the most despicable to you is your neighbor and everyone else. So at any time you could come across a Kyle, someone that's at the end of the rope and they just need to know that somebody cares. And you may be the only person that sees them when they hit the bottom. If your kindness makes a difference in just one person's life, it may not seem that important to you, but I promise you it's important to them. And they will never, ever forget that. There's people in my life, I will never forget them. Because they showed me kindness when I needed it the most. Would you stand with me, please? Church, we need to leave this place or just look around you in this place. Find someone that needs a smile and give them yours. But don't just stop there. Be their friend. Help them. Now, there's only so much you can do for people. I'm not suggesting because some people can take advantage of that. Use wisdom. Learn to have healthy boundaries. I mean, there's, there's a lot that goes along with this, but be more than just a person that smiles at people. Yesterday, there was a group of men right here in this church went and helped a lady that has nothing to give us. Somebody just reached out and says, I need some help. She woke up one night and a snake is laying on the top of her bed because there's snakes coming in her house. And they're coming in her house because there's weeds all growing up around her house and she's on a cane and can barely walk, lives by herself. And she's not of our race. She's of a different race, yeah. We're not prejudiced. She doesn't come to our church. She doesn't give us anything. She probably couldn't give us anything. That's not why we did it. We did it because it's a lady that needed some help. She needed someone to show her kindness. And seven guys in this church, they showed up, and, and I mean, they, in just a matter of hours, they're mowing, you could walk anywhere in the yard, cleaned up all the junk, cleaned around her house. Because that's the way we should be. Find somebody that needs kindness and show it to them. This has become a practice of my life, and I'm not here to boast, but I'm driving down the road sometimes. I was going down the, coming back from town here, oh, this, this this year, is this this spring, and it was a young African-American boy. He broke down in his truck, was pulled right up here across from the police station. And I passed him by, and I could see he was crawling up under the truck, and I'm, I got halfway to the church. I'm like, that, that, that boy needs some help, you know. I went back, and he was all to pieces. He's like, I, I, my truck broke down. He didn't have any money. I don't know how much. I said, he said, I'm going to call a wrecker. He said, but I don't have the money to pay him. I said, son, you don't have to do that. I said, come on, get in the truck. Got in the truck, went home. I got a car trailer. Hooked up a car trailer, went down there. We pulled his truck up on it and hauled it to a garage. All the way, I'm telling him about Jesus. Well, he calls his grandma. Grandma meets me and she comes up with tears in her face. She said, I pray for that boy all the time. Good Christian woman. 
insisted I take some money. I said, ma'am, I didn't do this for money. I did this because it's the right thing to do. I've been broke down and I needed help before. You pay it forward. I, I'm just helping. Nothing would do her. She gave me $40 from a few. I'm like, all right. Well, I don't want you to feel like you're beholden to me. I didn't want to accept it, but I, she, I felt like it would insult her if I didn't. So, But that's not why I did it. We're on the way to district council a few years ago, Jeannie and I. We pull up to the gas station. Jeannie goes in, this little girl, a little bitty girl, cute little thing. She's crying. And Mama G, boy, she's like, well, baby, what is the matter? She said, a bee stung me. She said, well, I'll pray for it. Where did it sting you? She said, oh, my butt. <laughs> <laughs> well, I ain't going to lay hands on <laughs> But she prays with her, and then she goes on shopping, and she overhears the little girl asking for something to eat. And Mama's got a bag of change. And I don't know what she was running from or what, what was going on in her life. But all she had was that money in that bag. And she had to get gas in her car, and her kids was hungry, and that's all she had. And Jeannie come and told me. I'm like, Phew. So I said, man, pull your car up to the pump. Why not I said, pull your car up to the pump. I stuck my credit card in there. I filled her tank up. And Jeannie gave her some money. I said, go buy them kids something to eat. Then she said, ma'am, what you need to know is Jesus sent us here today to show you just how much he loves you. That's why we're here. That's why we're doing this. Jesus sent us here today so that you would know how much he loves you. Yesterday, she's coming out of the store and this lady's down looking. And he's like, what are you looking for? Did you lose your contact? She said, no, my husband just bought me these rings. And she had one in her hand and the other one, she took it out and it fell. And she's a little bitty diamond ring, diamond earring. And she's looking for it. And so next thing you know, there's a whole bunch of people out there. And Jeannie's looking, they're all looking. And Jeannie's it's like, Jesus, do I put you on the line here? It's like, why not? She said, Jesus. You know this is important to her. It may not be nothing but an earring, but it's important to her. Jesus, help us find this earring. And so help me, she goes look, and she looks, and poop, there it is. Jeannie goes over and said, I found it. She said, you did? Yes, I found it. And they come over to get it, and Jeannie wouldn't give it to them. She's like, then she hands it to her and said, what did you say? You Jesus. Every little thing. You need to know that Jesus cares that much about you. Every little thing. Church, the world, it's a wide open field to just show kindness to people. And I'm going to tell you there is no greater reward in this world than how God makes you feel after you've done something like that. No greater reward than that. Amen. Father, we just thank you, Lord, that you showed us kindness when we didn't deserve it. God, we were the mongrels, Lord. In fact, all people really are, God, because even your own children, you said they went whoring after other gods. There is none that is good, you said. No, not one. There is no righteousness. Our righteousness is like filthy rags. Lord, in the story of the parable, of the Good Samaritan, God. All of us are that beaten person on the side of the road. All of us, God, can be the Samaritan, Lord, that reaches out to those. Lord, the Samaritan was the one that you would think that was beyond redemption. Lord, they were the mongrels. They were beyond redemption. But God, you demonstrated when the redemptive power of Jesus Christ comes into our life, he changes us so that we don't see that that's a person that hates me. Because here's a Samaritan and here's an Israelite that hates him, but still he helps him even though that person hates him. So, Lord, help us to see beyond race or color or gender or mixed genders or the confusion of gender and all of the chaotic things that's going on in this world, Lord. 
and just be kind to one another, Lord, and to be Jesus to the world, Lord. Father, there, there are people in this church that have been changed because someone showed them kindness. Lord, I was changed because someone showed me kindness. So, God, I pray that you just birth that in our heart, Father, that not only we, we operate in those things when we have opportunity, but, God, we go out looking for opportunity to be the Samaritan to someone. Father, looking for people. God, help us to look at their face, Lord, and we see the smile on their face, Lord, and we understand that smiling faces, sometimes they tell lies. And God, we realize that even though there's a smile on their face, God, their heart is crying. And give us discernment and insight, God, to see that this person just needs someone to be kind to them. And help us to be Jesus to them, Lord. And let us know, God, every person in this room can do that, Father. Now, Lord, if there's people in here today, God, and their hearts are wounded and they are hurt, God, they, they, they've experienced rejection, Lord, and they've experienced ridicule and, and, and being the outcast. Father, I pray, Lord, that you just heal their heart, Lord. God, maybe they're beat down and they have no confidence, Lord. They don't feel like they could do anything. God, let them know, God, that they can do anything. God, because you are in them, Father. The power of the Holy Spirit is in them, Lord. And you said we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, Lord. So, Lord, I pray for healing, God, in people's hearts today. God, I pray for those, Lord, that have reached out, they've tried to show kindness, God, and it backfired in their face. And people just, they've been hurt by trying to help other people, Lord. And Father, that can leave you on the side of the road beaten and and beat down, and you don't want to help somebody else because you don't want to get your hand bitten off. But Lord, I pray that you heal people from that, Lord. And just because somebody didn't receive you, God, the next person might, Lord. Lord, in the sermon, I pointed out if we can just help just one person, if just one person, they make a difference in their life. Help us to do it for the one, God. So, Father, I pray that this message would be birthed in our heart today, God, and it be real. Lord, we want what's real. Help us not to be pretentious in any way, but, God, to be truthful and real and honest. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Y'all got a song ready for us, Hunter? All right, take us to this room, brother.
never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop somebody in this church you've never had a conversation with and go up and say hi my name is so and so who are you <laughs> church I know that is totally out of the norm for some people I am that guy I'm the guy that would sit in the room and never say a word to anybody Jeannie was the person walked in the room and she said something to everybody We first got married, she's talking to total stranger. I'm like, do you know them? She's like, no. I'm like, well, why are you talking to them then? <laughs> so I had to learn how to have a conversation with somebody I didn't know, and I'm still not real good at it, but, but step outside your box is what I'm saying. The women's Bible study. No? Get the money.
And I started saying, Jesus, help us find this earring. And I was a little bit, you know, scared because it's like, now I'm putting Jesus out there. You know, putting Jesus' like he needs me to defend his reputation. We really think more of ourselves than we are, don't we? So I'm like, okay, Jesus, you know, help us find this. And they're kind of like, you know, Lord, this earring, it doesn't mean a whole lot to me, but it means a lot to this young lady. God, help us. And this is no lie. So we're all there looking, and I'm looking over here, you know, in the press. And this one man, he said, what y'all looking for? And he'd stay there. He said, I'm lucky I kept looking, finding I prayed, Lord, help us find this. This means a lot to her. And all the time I'm thinking, okay, Jesus, come on, please. And I find it. And I pick it up. And the young man, he comes over. He's wanting to take it. And I ain't turning it loose. I go to her. And I say, oh, I it. And he goes, you mean this much to Jesus. He cares about the little things. He loves you this much. And gave her that. I wish I had gotten your name or whatever. But she's looking at me because she's sweating. And she's been down crawling on her knees looking for this little thing. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus, you came through. And the Lord said, it ain't all about you. Jesus, it's not all about you. You don't have to defend me or, you know, convince somebody. You know, because I was sweating bullets. Because I was going to look like a fool which is nothing new. <laughs> you know, we just need to lay it out there. Like Bernie says, be that smile to somebody. It's a new day. His mercies are new every morning. I get a new chance. I messed up yesterday, but I get a fresh start this morning. And your purpose and your plan is to glorify the Father. And He doesn't need us to guard over or watch over His reputation. He's God. And He is surely in His place. Amen? Amen. 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 Thank you, baby. Amen. Amen. Well, praise God. Church, I love you. And you can't do nothing about it. Amen. <laughs> Father, we thank you for our time together, Lord. God, we pray now we take the truth of your word, Lord. Go from this place, Father. Find somebody that needs a smile, Lord, and give them ours, Lord. And not only just that, but God, we, God, please, again, I ask you to help us see. Lord, one of the gifts of the Spirit is the discernment of spirits, Lord. Help us discern their spirit, God, what's going on in their life. To see beyond the smile on their face, God, and to see what's going on in their heart. Lord, we may not know the details, but we can tell if, there's, if they just need a, a kind word or not. Yeah. And, and Lord, just let them know, you know, I don't have all the answers, but I know who does. Yeah. And I may not know where he's at sometimes, but he knows where I am. I may not know where he's at in your life, but he knows where you are. And he sees you. He cares about you. So help us, God, to understand that is true about us. And, Father, it's true about the people that you have sent us, Lord, to, to reach out with the, with the gospel message, Lord. Maybe a long process. But help us to endure to the end, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Now, Lord, I speak a blessing over the body of Christ over every home that is represented here today, Lord. Bless our homes, God. Make them a refuge, God, an escape from the world, Lord, a place where the Holy Spirit is welcome. Strengthen the family, God, husbands and wives, parents and their children, siblings, one with each other. God, I pray a special blessing over those that are walking their journey alone, God. They're looking for that special mate, Lord. May they help, their help may come to them, Father. They find them, Lord. 
they get married, Father, walk in a covenant relationship together. Lord, those that are happy and content, Lord, just to live their life alone, God, you be their comfort, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. Gospel is free.